there's an incident where the Prophet Muhammad's with his companions, and there was uh, uh, somebody who was uh, seen coming at a distance. And so he looks forward and he just says, be Abu Dar. And so the indication in the story is that he wasn't Abu Dar. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him and his family, because he had this authority to control the universe, that he would say something, be, and it will become. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد تلما والمهدينا وسلم تسليما السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته my dear companion Tiffany how are you I'm great today thank you so much for having me back good to have you back so today we want to talk about uh, an important topic and that is the rights of the divinely appointed messenger from God what are these rights and I think in, in order to understand it, uh, we're going to have to once again go to the scripture uh, from Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and also take a look at the stories of the prophets and the messengers from the very beginning uh, till now. I think that the, the defining moment uh, is in the story of Adam. Uh, this is where we draw a lot of conclusions and we can see very clearly uh, what was given to a divinely appointed messenger and what does that mean like what what uh, is a result of that like what happens as a result of that uh, first off in the story of adam uh, he is a body that was formed out of clay and he's existing, uh, according to the narrations. Uh, some narrations state that he's hanging at the door of, of paradise for 40 days. Um, the angels are passing by. They're checking him out. They're looking at him. Um, but they don't have any obligation towards him. Uh, but then an incident takes place, and that is God blows in him of his spirit. Okay? Yeah. So what does that mean that God blows in him of his spirit? Uh, in another worded way, it's that God placed the Spirit of the Lord upon him, or the Spirit of the Lord came upon Adam. Yeah. The moment that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Adam, uh, there's changes that take place uh, between the angels and the rest of the people that are, that are on the outside of Adam and between Adam himself. Okay. Uh, immediately, they're commanded to prostrate to Adam. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And immediately Adam goes from not knowing anything to all of a sudden knowing the names of all things. Yes. Okay. And so so now we know that once the spirit uh, comes upon somebody that it's accompanied by certain powers and certain authorities. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one we could call uh, the Al-Wilaya Al-Tashri'iyya, okay? Al-Wilaya Al-Tashri'iyya means uh, he has the uh, jurisprudence authority, okay? Okay. Uh, and uh, that's, a, you know, loosely, uh, it's loosely translated as that. And what it means is that all of the commands that Adam gives 
become obligatory and the commands that uh, Adam gives um, are basically the commands from God. Yeah. Whatever Adam tells them to do, uh, it becomes incumbent upon them to do. And uh, therefore, he has uh, the jurisprudence in his hands. Okay. Okay? Yes. Makes sense, It right? does make sense, yeah. The other authority, um, which which we can we can um, draw from this story is something which is called al wilaya at taqwiniya. Al wilaya at taqwiniya means like formative uh, authority or authority over the universe. Okay. Okay. And uh, it's basically the authority to say to something, be and it is. Okay. okay. And uh, we see this clearly uh, in the Bible when, when we understand the nature of how Adam told things their names or told uh, the angels what the names of things were. Uh, God, you know, basically tells Adam to name them whatever he sees fit and whatever he sees fit to name them, it became their name. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So now he has two types of authority. Uh, authority to give commands and implement laws. He's the one that's making it. It's in his hands. And the and all of it is from God because it's the spirit of the Lord that's ultimately influencing his actions. Yes. So it's not like Adam is just making these laws from his own self because if he was making these laws from his own self, then he would have this authority before the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Yeah. But because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and then he has this authority, then it's the Spirit of the Lord actually who's working through Adam uh, to uh, implement these laws. And it is the Spirit of the Lord through Adam that is influencing his choice on uh, names and, and uh, you know, to call things certain things. And uh, to say to something, be and it is. Right, he yeah. calls it a horse, and it becomes a horse. It, a horse is its name. Wow. He says this is a bear, and bear becomes uh, its name. You know, so uh, the words of Adam become binding. Okay, okay? I mean that's that's a, a, a huge authority when you think about it. It is a huge authority. Okay, so uh, is is it limited to that? Um, and and now what is what is it, what does it mean? Um, in terms of the rest of creation and what are some of other examples of the authority uh, being used or being put into practice or exercised um, by the rest of the prophets and messengers. Uh, we find Tiffany uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible uh, with the divinely appointed priests and kings and prophets, uh, we find that that it happens so often that the narrative uh, goes along, uh, you know, goes uh, something along the lines of uh, like it did with Saul. Uh, Saul is out one day, he's looking for um, his father's sheep, and he comes across Samuel. And Samuel, at the time, he was uh, going out looking uh, to a point, being led by the Spirit, looking to appoint uh, he who God would, uh, would make the next king over uh, Israel. And when Samuel sees Saul, he identifies him and knows that this is the guy who's going to be the next king. And then they go and they sit and they have a chat. 
Samuel, uh, Saul never met Samuel before. They didn't even know each other. Yeah. And they have a little talk, and then what happens? Then he tells him that he, he tells him basically you're going to be uh, the the king, and the spirit of the Lord is going to come on you when you when you you're going to walk, and then you're going to reach uh, a group of priests, and when you pass by them, the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. A group you. of prophets. Uh, so a group of prophets, and then um, the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, and that's exactly what happened. And then people uh, people were really astonished that he had this ability of prophecy, and they were they were. Um, they were looking at him and they were saying, is that Saul? Is he one of the prophets now? So uh, people had noticed that the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him. Yeah, so Samuel tells him, he says, when you pass these group of prophets, uh, a couple things are going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And the scripture says that it came and it came upon him really strong Mm -hmm. by him crossing paths with these prophets that were giving prophecies. And then it said that he himself was going to begin to give prophecies. And Samuel tells him, from that moment forward, after the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, whatever you find in your heart to do, just do it. Yes, yes, he does say that, yeah. So now Saul goes back to his people and he's unrecognizable. The Saul before the Spirit of the Lord is different than the Saul after the Spirit of the Lord. Yes. The Saul before the Spirit of the Lord didn't have any knowledge of the unseen. Yeah. uh, Because that's what a prophecy is, right? To tell somebody something that's going to happen in the future. Yeah. After the Spirit of the Lord, now Saul has knowledge of things that are to come in the future. Yes. Yeah. The, the transition is made very clear by the scripture that he's changed and the people don't even recognize. And here lies the great question. Uh, and it's something that I want to leave our viewers to ponder over. Uh, perhaps we're, we'll uh, swing around to it in a, in a future episode. But now that we know that Adam had the authority to say, be and it is, he calls something and it becomes. The prophecies itself that were given by the prophets and the messengers, were they always premonitions where they were shown things that were going to happen in the future? Or were they words that were spoken by the messenger, inspired by the Spirit of the Lord, that because they spoke it, it became fact? Uh, It would happen the words of the prophet of the messenger, God would never allow to fall to the ground. So they would speak and it would take place. Wow. And it would become truthful. And it would become truthful. Wow. And that was, by the way, one of the reasons why the people recognized Samuel as a prophet. There's a verse in the scripture that states that uh, the people saw that Samuel's words always came to pass. And so they recognized and accepted that he was uh, from God because of that, because they saw that every promise he made uh, was true. Every prophecy that he told happened. Wow. That's so so fascinating, uh, this connection between uh, the the messenger of God and and God, that it works together. Uh, The spirit that's inside of them um, ensures that what they say is truthful and comes to pass. That's... That's beautiful. So now we see that Saul, just like Adam, 
he does not need to be educated by his uh, predecessor. Uh, he does not need to be educated by Samuel. Uh, he just has one little chat with Samuel. And then after the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, Samuel feels comfortable enough to tell him, hey, whatever it is that you feel like you want to do inside, just do it. Wow. So that means that there's kind of like a dissolving of the will of the person that the Spirit is upon. And it becomes a thing where uh, they do not will anything except that God had willed it. So their will becomes the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, it, it makes sense that it must be that way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too because there's a verse of the Quran uh, that basically says, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ And you do not will except that it was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Muslims, they have differed upon the interpretation of this. And the Ahl-Bayt, the people of the house, are the ones that had to clarify the meaning of it. Uh, some people said that the, the meaning behind this verse, and you do not will accept that God wills, is that you, know, you have to make sure that you always say, inshallah, if God wills. Yeah. Okay, so you never say I'm going to do this tomorrow without saying inshallah after it. That this is the meaning behind the verse. Uh, other people have gone to say that it's just a general thing, like for all humanity. You know that all human beings, you know, they should will, and in the end, it's the will of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Uh, you know that uh, that happens, and that we shouldn't want anything to take place except for. Uh, the will of God, and it kind of almost sounds like they're saying that the will of all of humanity and all the time is the will of God. And the Ahl Bayt they clarified, it. and they said they said basically in a hadith, the Imam says, uh, one of the Imams said, and since when were the people united in their will in order that their will be the same as the will of God, but by Allah. Uh, these verses are, this verse is about uh, we, the people of the house. Oh. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made our hearts containers for the will of God. Oh. Whenever He wills something, we will it. And whenever we will something, He wills it. Wow. Okay, yeah. so uh, the Ahl Bayt, they clarify that a divinely appointed hujjah or proof, a divinely appointed imam, uh, which would also apply in the case of a prophet, a messenger, a king. Um, the will that's placed in their heart uh, is one which is inspired by uh, that spirit which comes upon them. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's, that's very clear. Yeah. And then we have the, the story of David. And in the story of David, almost the same thing happens. Almost the same conversation takes place between David and a prophet who was alive at that time, and that was Nathan. Yeah. You know, Nathan, after the anointment uh, of David and his appointment of king uh, over all of Israel, he basically tells him that whatever it is that you find in your heart, go forward and do. Yes, yeah, he does say that, yeah. So the, the Spirit of the Lord, like it was in Adam, like it was in Saul, is now blown upon David. 
and no prior education is needed. And and David was just really like a shepherd. Yes, uh, he was not boy. trained yeah. to be a king. Yeah, and he is told to go forward and do whatever it is that he wants to do. Yeah, and that's what makes actually the rule of David quite famous in the narrations of the Ahl Bayt Salam. Uh, because uh, he's he's famous for ruling through divine inspiration. Yes. He doesn't. He's not ruling through a jurisprudence. Some of the prophets and the messengers, although all of them had the spirit of the Lord upon them, uh, some of them they just implemented. They had a Sharia jurisprudence, uh, laws that were given to them by God or given to the previous prophet or messenger that came before them, and they just worked by uh, those laws. Yeah. Okay? Okay. And there were other prophets or kings like David that would kind of set aside those laws and would rule through whatever it is that God placed in his heart. Okay. And both the rule of the jurisprudence, the laws of God, and the rule of the heart or the divine inspiration were both at the end of the day uh, equally acceptable with God and equally uh, uh, attributed to God. It is God's rule through David through the inspiration and it's God's rule through the jurisprudence. So David, he came after who? He came after Moses. Uh, the, all the prophets and the messengers and the kings at that time, they were working by the jurisprudence of Moses and what had been brought down, the law that had been brought down in the, in the Torah. Yes. Okay. Uh, sometimes David, if he wanted to, uh, he could have his judges or he himself could rule by that which Moses had brought down from God. And other times he didn't need the witnesses. He would just judge by whatever it is that he uh, felt in his in his chest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He did have that authority for sure. So could we say then that one of the things that takes place or one of the rights of a hajja or a, a, and a hajja means basically somebody who's divinely appointed. One of the rights of a hajja is that he can disregard the jurisprudence. Yes. So the person who has in him the spirit of the Lord and whose heart is a container for the will of the Lord is above the jurisprudence. And it's not that the jurisprudence is above him. Right? Yeah. And I think Jesus clarified this, didn't he? Did. he? Yes. Why don't you tell our viewers the story of, uh, of Jesus? Okay. Um, Jesus famously clarified that, uh, that he, as the, the man sent by God, was not uh, uh, restricted by the jurisprudence. There's this story that happens where he and his disciples are passing through a grain field and the disciples get hungry so they take some of the pieces of grain and they start to eat it and it happens on the sabbath and the pharisees come up and they say your disciples are breaking the sabbath uh, laws because the sabbath is the day where you're supposed to rest and you're not supposed to do any work so they were saying that by taking the grain and eating it this was doing work and it was uh, breaking the sabbath law so jesus said uh, he referred to a story that happens in first samuel and uh, he said, haven't you read uh, what happened with David when he and his men were hungry, when they went to the temple and they ate the consecrated bread, even though it wasn't lawful for them to do so? And, uh, and he, the, the speech is ended by him saying, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he's basically saying he, as the Son of Man, as the Hoja of his time, 
is uh, he's above the the laws of the Sabbath. He's the one in control of the jurisprudence, basically. Yeah, and I think that there's a, there's another fascinating also example where Jesus displays the wilaya tashriya, uh, his wilaya to uh, manipulate the jurisprudence or to change the jurisprudence, thus proving that he's above it and that it is an authority which is in his hands is uh, when the, the, there, was an, there was a discussion that took place between him and the rabbis concerning divorce. Mm, yes. Yeah. So yes, he did. What, what took place there? So uh, they, were, they were talking about uh, divorce and, uh, and Jesus, he, he said that uh, Moses allowed divorce because your hearts had been hardened. Uh, and then he said, but, but God didn't like it uh, from the beginning. And what God has put together, let no man separate. So he basically outlawed the practice of divorce. And people at that time had been abusing uh, divorce. Basically, they were getting married and they were already thinking about when they were going to get divorced. So they were abusing uh, the practice of getting married and divorcing. So Jesus said, like, enough, uh, no more divorce. So he changed the Sharia. He changed he changes the, jurisprudence. the jurisprudence of Moses. Exactly. And he also kind of indicates that actually it was Moses who changed the jurisprudence yeah. uh, of God uh, initially by even allowing a divorce. So he shows that not just he's he's in control or has this wilay uh, of Tashriya, but also uh, Moses uh, did as well. Yeah. And we also have a verse in the Quran uh, which says that nothing was forbidden for the children of Israel except for that which Israel forbade uh, on his own self. Yeah. Okay. So this kind of this verse in itself, what is it saying? It's saying that uh, the origin is that all things were permissible for the children of Israel. And we see that in the Noahic uh, covenant, all the plants and all the meats were given, uh, you know, to them. Yeah. Uh, but but some things now are not permissible. And the verse is saying that the reason why it's not permissible is because Jacob had made it impermissible for his own self. Yes. And if we take the hadiths, Right, and we know that if we look at every verse as applying in every time, and we take the words of the Prophet Muhammad, which we mentioned in previous episodes, whereby it states that, uh, whereby Prophet Muhammad says that one of his names is Israel, and he also says that all the verses which are good verses that are applying to the children of Israel are applying to him and the and uh, the people of his house. Then uh, basically, what we find here is uh, in uh, a verse that states that all things were permissible for uh, Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, except for that which Muhammad made impermissible on his own self. Okay. And we do find verses in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to the Prophet Muhammad and asking him why is he making haram or impermissible on his own self that which God made permissible for him. Okay. Whether it's talking about um, his desire to marry the, the uh, wife of, of his adopted son Zayd or whether it was talking about um, when he made the honey impermissible uh, on his own self, these were, um, uh, God is telling him that, you know, he's basically doing this, which shows that the Prophet Muhammad, just like Jacob, just like Jesus, just like Moses, just like Adam, 
they have this authority to make things halal and to make things haram. And even there's another verse uh, in the Quran which states, and whatever the messenger you know, commands you, then take it. And whatever the messenger, messenger forbids you from, then abstain from it. Yes. And this verse also shows that outside of those things which God uh, made clear halal or haram in the book uh, of the Quran, that uh, anything else also that the Prophet would say uh, or forbid, then it also automatically uh, becomes haram and it automatically uh, becomes halal depending on what it is that he says. So uh, the Prophet Muhammad definitely has this wilaya um, to uh, adjust the jurisprudence according to you know how he sees fit at that time. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, when you put all these examples together, it's really fascinating because it really, it, I feel like it makes it so clear how important it is to have uh, the proof of God because he is like a living, breathing manifestation of God's will and of the jurisprudence. And, and God's spirit. And God's spirit, exactly. So, uh, I mean, if you, if you have a book versus a living, breathing uh, manifestation of God's spirit, uh, what's better? I, I think it's it's very clear that that it is more important to to have the the proof of God of the time, and to hold on to that because in doing so you're holding on to God. So then we have a very interesting thing, and it has to do directly with Catholicism, and okay. that is Jesus's appointment of Simon Peter. You mm -hmm. know, and how uh, basically the Bible states that Jesus gives uh, two keys to Simon Peter at his appointment. Mm -hmm. The keys to the heavens mm -hmm. and the keys to the earth. Mm -hmm. And he tells him that, Simon, whatever you bind on the earth, it becomes bound in heaven. Yeah. Right? Yes. And how do Catholics understand this? How do Christians understand this? Exactly as as you would think that that he's in whatever his ruling is on earth, that means that it's the ruling from from God. So he is the one in charge of the the rulings from God. He's the one uh, in charge of uh, bringing forth God's will. He's so in charge be, of the jurisprudence. Basically. It could be read in two different ways. Uh, but both of them really in the end, they pour into the same glass, which is that like whatever Simon says, mm -hmm. um, that's what God wanted it to be. Yeah. Or whatever Simon says, uh, God accepts that yeah. and he makes it to be. Yeah. All right. So Simon has the ability to say to something, be and it is. Yeah. Just like Adam when he said, this is a horse, and then God accepts that this is the name, it's a horse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you could read it that God inspired him through his spirit to choose the name, the horse. Yeah. All right. Wow. I mean, it's it's a huge, huge authority. And it's, it's no small thing that he gave this authority to Simon Peter. And what does that mean for future popes? But they have the same, the same authority. So every successor of Simon Peter mm -hmm. after that, in the Catholic Church, uh, Catholics are okay with them making certain rulings. Yes, I mean, they're seen as the keepers of the keys of the kingdom. They're, they're the placeholders for Christ himself. So uh, the authority of Christ, he gave it to Simon Peter, and then it is passed down from Pope to Pope. And, uh, you know, that is, they're the, they're the guardians of the religion. Yes, they have that authority over the jurisprudence. Yeah. What about... Um, 
the some people might ask about like okay well then what does that mean in regards to um you know the authority to manifest certain things uh, we find that in the hadith of the ahl bayt there's an incident where the prophet muhammad's with his companions and there was uh, uh, somebody who was uh, seen coming at a distance you know but they couldn't identify who he was he was coming from far away and the prophet had been waiting for the arrival of his companion abu dar and so he looks forward and he just says be abu dar okay and uh, the man approaches and as he approaches and and they begin to recognize who he is he really was abu dar and so the indication in the story is that he wasn't abu dar and the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him and his family, because he had this wilaya taqwinaya, this 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 authority to control the universe, that he would say something, be, and it will become. Just like God would say to something, be, and it will become. And uh, and and it comes from the the verse in the Quran in in which God is describing the manner in which He creates and He manifests things, and it says in there that it's only His His you know it's only uh, His command that He should say to something be and it becomes that this is how He controls everything. He just wills. For it to be and speaks it, and then uh, all of a sudden uh, it it becomes. Wow. And we have narrations from the Ahl Bayt which clarify that this authority of being able to say to something, be and it will become is not exclusive to the absolute God, but rather it is a gift that can be extended um, to creation. And there is a Hadith Qudsi uh, in which God is speaking to his servant and he says, my servant, obey me. Obey me and I will make you like me. I say to a thing, be and it is, and I will make you say to a thing, be, and it shall be. Okay? Yeah. That's fascinating. My servant, obey me, and you will be like me. I say to a thing, be and it is, and you shall say to a thing, be and it is. So this authority in this hadith is shown to be one that is granted to all those people that are obedient uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they reach to a certain state where they no longer have a will and their will dissolves into the will of God and all of their actions is only the obedience of God, then they will receive this gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know that it is the hujjahs that have successfully uh, done this thing and reached that level where uh, they are they have dissolved completely and, uh, and their will becomes uh, the will of the Almighty because the Spirit of the Lord uh, is above them. So what other authorities then would, would, uh, would, would a person who has this wilaya taqwinaya, besides speaking and saying to a thing, being it is, like what 
how also can we understand this? And what are evidences or proofs upon that? Well, uh, in the Hadith of the Ahl-Bayt, um, it becomes clear that the person who has this wilaya taqwinaya has, uh, or this, this universal authority, has the ability basically to control the universe. Um, they can they command everything. Uh, they have the same authority of God. To, to say to a thing, be in the dis is like the, the ultimate icing on the cake, but they have with it, uh, basically, they control the sun, they control the moon and the planets, they control the sustenance, they control the rain that comes down, uh, they control when people are born, when people die, all things are in their hands. And people uh, might at first, you know, when first hearing this, they'll say, oh my God, this is shirk, it doesn't even make sense. But it kind of does make sense. And the proof in that is the fact that uh, we do believe uh, in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, that, uh, and we have many narrations which state basically that the sun moves because there are these angels that are in control of it and they cause it to move. The earthquakes in the land, uh, that take place it happens because there's these angels that are appointed over it and so they push it uh, when people die they die because god sends the angel of death to uh, take their souls so god is above doing directly these things so when he wills something his will manifests in the form of an angel and the angel is the one who implements uh, the will of god yes. right yeah Okay, so all things have these angels. There's angels that are in charge of uh, bringing down the rain or, or the storms or, or making the, the fruits come out from the ground or angels that are guarding the harmala seeds or, 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 or and even there's narrations that state basically not to urinate in the rivers because there's angels that are in charge of the rivers and in the rivers. And so everything has angels that are appointed over them even there's angels that go inside the womb and they flip the baby upside down according to the uh, narrations right yeah. so now we go back to the story of adam and all of these angels that are in charge of all these different things they're commanded to prostrate to adam and prostrating to adam means to obey adam so adam has the authority over all of the angels, not a limited amount of angels, all of them. So therefore, from the story of Adam, we realize that Adam himself, he's the one who commands uh, the angels to withdraw the souls. He's the one who commands the sustenance to come down. Him, by just willing something or speaking it, causes these angels to be at his will and at his command. Yeah. Uh, so things are kind of operating naturally. It doesn't mean that the hujja uh, is uh, literally thinking about every single movement that's taking place. No, it's like this big mechanism that's operating. But if he if he decides that he wants to change in something, he can change it. You know. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Jesus, what takes place? Uh, there's clay on the ground. He wills that uh, it becomes a bird. And so he forms it and he wills it and he says to it, be a bird and it becomes a bird. Yes. Or the angel of death, they come and they take the soul of Lazarus. Uh, but Jesus decides that he doesn't want that. So he wills that Lazarus's soul uh, returns back to him and he brings back uh, life to him by uh, commanding the angels. Yeah. And so and so the hujja at the end of the day uh, has this wilaya 
uh, universal authority, and he also has this jurisprudence authority, and I think that we've proven it quite well. It's extremely clear. I, I mean, I think from everything that you've said, it's 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 an airtight uh, explanation of of how that works and how there's this tethering between the the proof of God and the spirit of God and and the will of God and how it's all working together as this sort of mechanism as you as you explained so so clearly and so beautifully. So now we we have another question that I think we have to answer before we go. Okay. And that is like, okay, so what does this mean for creation? You know, in regards to the Hajjah, like what are the rights of the Hajjah now upon them? Because everything we've been talking about now is just proving that they have these authorities. Okay. <sighs> The hadith of the Ahl al-Bayt are very clear that, you know, that in the meaning of the verse in the Qur'an, وَنُرِيدُ أَنَّ مُنَّ عَلَى الَّذِينَ اسْتُدْعِفُوا فِي الْأَرْضُ وَنَجْعَلَهُمْ أَئِمَّةِ وَنَجْعَلَهُمْ أَلْوَارِثِينَ And we want to uh, grant our favor to those who were oppressed in the earth, and to make them imams and to make them inheritors, that this verse is about the Ahlul Bayt. The family of Muhammad is oppressed in the land. God wants to give them his favor. And so therefore he makes them imams. He raises them to this high station. And when they become imams, they inherit the earth. The earth becomes part of their inheritance. And they inherit the earth and all that which is on there. And when you inherit something, you own that something. And so it becomes understood that the authority, the rights that the Imam has over the entire planet and all of creation is that of an owner. He owns it. It becomes his property. He is the owner of the farm and the cattle and the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. He's leading sheep, the mm -hmm. sheep of the believers. Yeah. But does the shepherd, shepherd own the sheep? Yeah. And we find in the Bible that Jesus says, what does he say? He says, whoever prefers their father or their mother over me are not worthy of me. Yeah. Because Jesus is saying that his rights over the people are higher than the rights of a mother or a father. And a mother or a father, they own their children. And yeah. even in the Islamic jurisprudence, a father can be charged with murder if he kills anybody except for his own child. Because his own child is, is seen as his own property, as his own self. And yeah. you can't be charged for uh, killing that which came from you. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, he, he is making it clear that his authority is above that. Yeah. yeah. And the Prophet Muhammad also, he said the same thing uh, when he said, me and Ali are the fathers of this nation. You know? And when he was standing in front of the tens of thousands of Muslims, and he said to them, uh, in the Khadir, he says, uh, he says to them, uh, do I not have more of a right over yourselves than you do? So his right over them, is more than an individual's right over his own self. And when we, when we look at that and we examine that statement, that's like saying that I, because I'm existing in this body, 
this body and what I do with it and what I do with my time and my day, this belongs to me. I own it. I'm the only person who owns it. But the Hujja owns it more than I do. Yeah. Well, then he owns me. Yeah. And he owns my time and he owns my energy and he owns my body and he owns everything that has to do with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He could send me out to war. He could, uh, he could uh, use me to do this task or that task. He can command me and I'm obliged to obey him and whatever it is that he commands in the same way that the angels were obliged to obey Adam because the angels are spirits and the spirit of the Lord that's in Adam has more of a right over the angels than their own selves do. So therefore, uh, the Hujja has more of a right over people than they do because it's not really about uh, the Hajjah himself but it's about the spirit that's within the Hajjah and that is the spirit of God and so the Hajjah is given the same rights of God over creation yes I mean it makes sense I, I, I don't think anybody would argue that they have more of a right over their own selves than God you know so of course the Hajjah as the one with the, the spirit of God tied to the spirit of God uh, he has the rights and, and the authority of God over creation. It, it makes perfect sense. And he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. And no matter what he does, it's never considered to be wrong. Yeah. And I think that this is shown very clearly in an example in Surah Al-Kahf when we're talking about the story of Zulkarnain. Okay, so Zulkarnain uh, is this king slash prophet. He's receiving communications from God okay and in the in the verses from the Quran it keeps saying that and we told Zulkarnain and we kept saying oh Zulkarnain so God is speaking to uh, Zulkarnain so clearly he's a prophet he's a Hajjah and he is given authority to travel throughout the universe yeah. all right so he has this universal authority to travel uh, throughout and go from one place to another from the east to the west mm -hmm. right from the north to the south and Zulkarnain comes upon some people and when he comes upon these people these particular people he comes across several people but these particular ones that I'm speaking about God tells him O Zulkarnain as far as these people, you can either torture them or you can be nice to them. Oh. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, an, that's a really heavy meaning. Yeah. That means that God is giving Zulkarnain at that moment, who just encountered these people, and God's saying, look, they're yours. Yeah. Do whatever it is that you want to do with them. You can either torture them or you can be nice to them. Either way, it's all good. Wow. That means it's a huge authority. It is a huge authority. Yeah. And what does Zulkarnain choose? Zulkarnain says, then my decision is, is that whoever is good, I'm going to deal with them nicely. And whoever is bad, I'm going to make them return. I'm going to punish them and make them return to their Lord where they're going to receive a greater punishment. And so this response of Zulkarnain sheds light on a lot of things. And that's what God was trying to clarify for us.
that the, the, the Hajjah, he's given the authority to do anything. He could do, he could destroy the people or he could treat them nicely. That's up to him. These are the authorities that's given to him, the authority of God over creation. If God was to destroy his creation, nobody can blame him. And if God is to treat his creation nicely and, and reward them, uh, you know, then, then this would be from his mercy. Uh, either way, God does no wrong. Same thing is given to Zulkarnain. But the Hujjah whom God chooses will always choose to do like, uh, like Zulkarnain did, and that is to act with justice yeah. and to give each person that which he deserves. Those who do good will be receiving good, and those who do bad will be receiving bad, and then he'll execute them and let them uh, go to God to receive their greater punishment. So he gives everybody according to what it is that they deserve. And it also clarifies and shows that uh, Zulkarnain, through inspiration, is able to know uh, what it is that the uh, people uh, and be able to discern uh, who deserves what. Yeah, that, that story does give, uh, it clarifies that, that the person who is the proof of God, they are the proof of God for a reason. They, and, and they have, it's, uh, they are one with that spirit. So, so they, are, they are justice and, 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 and that is clear. Okay, we'll stop there, inshallah, and we'll continue in a, uh, a future episode. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait to continue. God bless you.